0: Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey, everybody, we are here with our first interviewee. Her name is Beth Usri, and she is an Atlanta native. She just recently moved back from Charlotte, though, in 2017. And prior to that, she attended the Art Institute of California in San Diego, and then Came on to a full-time position as a real estate investor at Purpose Property. And then back in uh, 2017, she went to her church, The Grove, and they had a seminar or a guest speaker that came out and um, talked about a nonprofit that we're going to get into called A21. And it um, raises awareness against human trafficking and sex sex slavery. So this will be a really good topic to get into Um, especially for our first interview, Um, and I'm going to let her talk about that. I just want to give you guys a good understanding of where she comes from and how she got into a nonprofit about sex slavery, because it is very uncommon to be in something revolving that world. So, Beth, how did you get to A21 besides just the the speaker at your church?
1: Well, that was really my, my first interaction with it coming back from charlotte um i'm an, i'm an atlanta native and i had no idea that this was such a prevalent issue in the city that i i obviously love since it's my hometown and when she was speaking of of her vision and well when she first met this this she didn't even meet the child she was in the airport in greece and noticed on the wall that there were the wall was full of bulletins of missing children. And there was one in particular that that struck her attention and she was just like, how could this possibly be? And she dug into it a little bit deeper and found out that this child had been a victim of sex slavery to Mm -hmm. where her parents were selling her for drugs at six years old. Um, And that, that just kind of tugged on my heart a little bit. And from there, I wanted to know how I could continue to know more and do more for my city because I I'd I see such, uh, I see these young girls on social media these days that seem like they're craving for attention and craving something that they're not getting from their parents. And so being a woman in my mid thirties, I felt like I could step in and maybe help shadow or guide or love on these girls a little bit more to, to give them worth or let them know that they don't necessarily need that kind of attention. Cause I'd been, um, being one that was, there's been a lot of adversity in my
0: life. You wanted to get more into it, and I know that when we talked previously, we talked about um, a walk that you and a friend organized. Uh, how was that experience, and what was the walk about, and how did it um, become a thing?
1: The A21 walk has been in existence for seven years now. This is the eighth year, well, this is the ninth year going on when I found out about it it was on year seven and it was something that Christine Kane started in the Greece and the Europe area and it caught on the idea of it is that it's a local walk but it's making a global impact because on the same day numerous multiple hundreds of cities across the world organize a local walk and we walk together to unite and raise awareness against human trafficking and sex slavery so that is when we when my girlfriend that I I go to church with, when she and I were kind of, we'd gone to this women's grove and, you know, we were just so impacted by it. We were like, how can we make a difference? How can we do something in our community knowing that Atlanta is one of the top five hubs for human trafficking in the United States, really in the world. It's not just the United States. And we were just like, how, how can that possibly be and how has there not been a walk here already with Atlanta being such a metropolitan that it is. Right. And so we just stepped out and took a leap of faith and started getting our friends together and letting them know what we were trying to do. And so we organized a group our first year and kind of went around to festivals and different churches and met with some high school girls and kind of shared what our experience thus far was and what we were trying to do. And so we had a lot of people to rally around us and we were able to create our first walk um, in October of 2018. And that just, we had over 100 people and it was raining. And the thing that's so impactful to me about this walk that's different from any other walk is it's not a rally. It's not a, you know, we're not holding up, well, we are holding up signs, but Like when you, when you think of a walk, you think of kind of a protest or, you know, kind of, you're trying to bring aware, it, it it just is a different kind of, when I saw that we were dressed in all black, we walked in silence and we walked in a single file line. I was like, that's impactful. It's not only raising awareness, but it's almost like a theatrical kind of moment with it as well. And it would bring tears to my eyes because I, I lead the walk since I, I put together the route And being the one on the forefront and just seeing people's reaction that wanted to completely ignore us and tune it out. And then others that really, you could tell that they're reading the statistics on these signs and like, whoa, I had no idea. This is a $150 billion industry. You know, 1% of these girls are even rescued. And that's where, you know, even little kids are that was one of the most impactful things was we walked by the Georgia Aquarium and there was a family going in and this little boy was like slavery. Slavery doesn't exist, and you could tell that he's kind of in that age where they're teaching about that. It, right. and he was like, "That's supposed to be over." And his grandmother pulled him aside, and I could hear her. I mean, we're, we're walking, so I didn't get the whole conversation, but I saw her kneel down and get in his eyes and explain, and starting to explain exactly what it is, and to wow. bring that awareness at such a young
0: age was really. I was like, "This is why we're doing this." Right, that's amazing, and and especially because. Again, like you said, a lot of walks are very demonstrational in the fact that, you know, everybody, they take up the entire street or sidewalk and you guys made yourself different, which I think brought more impact because nobody had seen a walk like that before. Like everybody just kind of kept to themselves and walked in, you know, didn't take up a bunch of space, but still had messages out there for people to, Taken if they wanted to, but like you said, yeah, a lot of people try to ignore this because it is such a taboo topic, um, and it and it's a lot like domestic violence as well because nobody wants to talk about that either, you know. And so I think a lot of times, especially with children, things happen in the home, and that causes them to feel like they're unloved, or you know that they did something wrong, and so they seek comfort other places, which then gets them into um, these situations. So I think a lot of it also starts in the home, unfortunately. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, I know that we had kind of talked about this prior to, um, do you want to talk about your um, adversities and what you went through in your life? Sure. To you to why mm-hmm. you are really passionate about, um, sex slavery and Um, trafficking? Absolutely.
1: I, um, at a young age, I would say around four, four to six, my father, my father was a big man and he loved like curling me up in his underarm. And I would most of the time not be wearing a shirt and I wouldn't think anything of it. And so, you know, your back's kind of up against him and his arms going, across the front of you, and there would be groping on my, my chest regions, and then, you know, on the upper parts of my thigh, and I didn't think anything was, like, I didn't think that was not normal, because I didn't know any difference, and it it did, it took a Hallmark episode and movie that I was watching, and I was, and it had that subject, and I was like, wait a minute, that's how dad touches me, like, this is not okay, and I so then I, I talked to my mom about it and my mom was kind of in denial and didn't want to necessarily believe me. And I don't think she really wanted to um, approach my dad about it as well, because they had their own toxicity to their relationship as well. So my mom was very submissive to him. And, but it, once I knew that, it changed my relationship with my dad. And you know he started asking questions as to why I was always just when we would have our cuddle time or the cuddle time would get limited. And that that put a little bit of a distance between us and I, I was a daddy's girl for sure. And as I got older, my parents divorced when I was 10. And so we would go over on the weekends. And I, I remember as I was turning into a teenager, there would be moments that he would just accidentally come into the bathroom when he knew I was in the shower. I'm like, you, you know, you know, I just got out of the shower, you know, like there, you didn't need to come in right then. And um, so th- just things like that happened in, in my childhood then. But when I was 16, my father committed suicide. And two years after that, my stepfather passed away from breast cancer. So at a young age, I didn't have that male figure In my life to kind of instill that love as to how a man is supposed to treat a woman, because that should be the first love of any woman's life is her dad, because her dad should be showing her how her husband is meant to be treating her. And so I didn't have that. And because I didn't have that, I had lots of sexual encounters that I'd look back on and and am ashamed of, but I was strictly trying to fill a void of something that wasn't there. I wasn't getting that love from my mom because my mom, had her own issues with prescription pills. And so she was checked out a lot of the time as well. And that followed up with a little sister that has a terminally ill disease. And so my mom's attention was going towards her and I was the middle child. So my older sister was out of the house and then there's me. And then all the attention is going to my little sister who has this disease. And so It caused me to to be a loner for a lot of my life, but then seek shelter and drugs and and sex and things that were comforting at the time because I didn't know any better, but it just allowed me to feel that numbness because I didn't want to feel anything else. So that's when I heard these stories of, of these other girls and just relating to, I can only imagine that they're trying to fill this void as well because they're at such an age that they just want somebody to love on them and to show them that they can be something so beautiful and they're just not getting it from the the support system that they're meant to be getting it from. So that's why I agree with you completely that it, it starts in the home and a lot of, you know, parents get in situations and I can't judge it because I'm not a parent yet and, um, and they, they don't want to necessarily have an abortion or or give it up for adoption and they just live with it when they're not capable of being parents and taking that ownership to step up and be like, okay, I can't be selfish anymore. There's somebody else's life that is going to be affected by all, every action that I have from this point on is going to affect somebody else's life.
0: Right. Exactly. And you, so you clearly went through so much in your childhood and even up into your adult life For the women that are listening to this podcast, what can you tell them what you did in your life to overcome those adversities and overcome, you know, everything that happened to be this amazing person that is now, you know, trying to get into the world of nonprofits that are, you know, raising awareness against human trafficking and sex slavery?
1: As you were saying, that starts to make me get a little emotional because I still deal with it every day. It's not something that ever goes away. And, um, as I'm, I'm so grateful for the relationship that I'm in right now and the patience and the grace that he gives me and provides me and just, he understands my background. And, um, this is, I've been through lots of relationships that have not been this way. And, um, there's a lot of toxicity that you kind of don't know any better. And so you're drawn to it. And then once you finally have somebody that is willing to, to help try and heal with you, not change you, that's, that's the big component of it, but he, he truly wants to help in the healing process and it knows that it's not immediately going to go away, but it, it, um, it, it's still a struggle and it's kind of, something I have to remind myself of a lot when I want to get insecure and when I want to look at somebody else and think that oh she's got something that I don't like no but I've been through a lot and I I do have things that I I should be proud of and I am proud of but it is still definitely um I can't say it's a daily struggle but there there are moments that Mm -hmm. it still comes up it's embedded in me for sure
0: yeah definitely but I mean, that's a a great piece of advice to just know that it's still going to be there. You don't have to, you don't have to pretend like it's not there anymore. Like you should definitely like know that it's there and, and kind of not embrace it, but embrace it in a sense.
1: No, a hundred percent embrace it, embrace the awareness of it because that's through a lot of counseling and yeah. a lot of therapy It that has been the biggest thing is to understand when those triggers happen and be aware of it and know how to go into a breathing exercise or know that I need to just walk out of the room or put myself in that safe place for a little while to just kind of meditate and and focus on all the hard work that I have gone through to not let something so small blow up everything that I've come from.
0: Right. Do you want to get into your nonprofit that you're starting or... Is that kind of?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um definitely in the the very baby stages of it because there's a lot of vision to it. So yeah. any of you ladies out there listening to this, if you've got some words of wisdom, or want to you know offer some assistance, is more than welcome. But the the idea of it is, and this is something I've I've thought about for years, and just putting action pieces to make it come to fruition is is where I'm. definitely making strides and getting more people in my network to do so but the main idea is as an investor there's lots of land out there and these tiny homes that are becoming more and more popular is the idea is to have it get get land and then provide these tiny homes so to work with nonprofits like yourself that is part of the beginning process where you're helping get them out of the original situation give them the tools that they need to become successful again and to be viable back into society. Well, then where do they go once they leave your campus? And once they've gotten those success tools, they need a place to live and they need a safe place to live that is going to be monitored, that, you know, they're not going to fall back into the lines that they may have been coming from and feel like they need to go back into a a violent situation or in a situation that's going to lessen them and their growth and where they've come from. So being able to provide housing in that sense, but kind of pair it up with a Habitat for Humanity kind of idea as well, so that they take ownership in the build. If it isn't just a tiny house that's already provided to them, maybe they start in the tiny house and then it's time for them to graduate up to their own house. And they've been able to be reunited with their kids. If they have any kids, whether they do or not, they take ownership in the build of their new home. So they have pride in that and it gives them that that self-esteem and kind of confidence that's like I've come from this and I, it's kind of a, I don't, I don't know the proper word or I, I guess comparable, like they've rebuilt themselves. And so they're taking what they've rebuilt in themselves and putting that into what they're building in their new home. That's so that's the idea of the nonprofit
0: of where, where we're trying to grow over the next few years. That is amazing. We have a lot of, um, a lot of our, vision lines up with your vision in our nonprofit. And I think it's amazing what you're doing. I think it's amazing what you're doing. Um, and especially because I think we'll be able to work together a lot in both of our nonprofits and help each other build that vision. Cause we're also, you know, in our infant stage as well, you know, only being a few months old as a, um, official nonprofit. So definitely think that the housing situation for these women is either in a, you know, that are coming out of a human trafficking situation or coming out of domestic violence situation. They're both, they have nowhere to go, no one to turn to because they've been Mm -hmm. isolated from their friends and families in both situations. And so I think it's really awesome that we kind of both had that same revelation, (laughs) if that's the right word. Um, And that we met each other and can work together. Is that your full focus right now or is there anything that you're currently working on to move forward on that between
1: um, raising awareness for a twenty one and developing that just really getting out there and building my network I, I just recently was able to get out of corporate America from the things that I've been able to produce through the business that I started about two years ago now so now that I have the more more time freedom it will allow me to really sink my teeth into this and I've been going to there's a for the investor community, it's really for anybody, but the West Side Summit here in Atlanta. The West Side of Atlanta is a big initiative to kind of not turn around because there's they they just want to help educate the legacy residents that are in the area and just educate the young men in that area as well how to properly speak, to want to have ambition to be better educated and in that I think if we can start with the young men, cause we have to go to the source of this. And if we show them a different way and we have grown men pouring into these young men as well and, and showing a different way, then hopefully that will start breaking this chain a little bit more. So I, I'm really trying to plug into those parts of the city that need the awareness the most. And just making myself available volunteering or working or doing whatever it is to try and help these young minds see something different from the way that they've been raised because that ultimately is what I think we need to do is just break these chains that have been tied down for generations and generations and generations.
0: Yeah that's awesome I think I definitely Zach and I have discussed breaking into the men's side of domestic violence because men are also victims of domestic violence. But like you said, it starts with the men, you know, most domestic violence victims are women, and they're abused by men. And I think that's a a great way to make yourself different than all these other nonprofits that are out there. And I think that's, um, you know, kind of trying to fix the problem, um, as well as bring resources to the people that are in those situations. So that is really, really amazing. So do you have any advice for our listeners for how you got through a tough situation? I know that you've been through a lot of tough things in your life. Is there like one kind of piece of advice that you can give to them to kind of help them get past maybe, you know, they're having an anxiety attack or a a breakdown or something and they like, this is what you do to kind of move past that.
1: Don't be scared to ask for help. Or, or, give somebody some kind of notion. I, I held it in for way too long, and I think because I held it in for way too long, because I was worried what people would say, or they would judge me, or they would think that I'm. They wouldn't believe me. I wish I would have spoken out a lot sooner and to a to a stranger, because um, family can have their own opinions about it. But truly, you know, making the effort to. I knew something was wrong and I didn't know how to ask for help. And that would be the, don't, I I would, I think there's enough people that have empathy with it that can, can understand it. And if they can't be the person to help you, they'll find somebody that that can help in the situation. So that would be my biggest thing is I wish I would have spoke up sooner and asked somebody to just hug me or just be there to let me cry as opposed to being a
0: a recluse and kind of holding it all in for as long as I did. Yeah. Um, Was there any books, podcasts, audiobooks that you listened to, or a quote that really gave you strength during those times that maybe somebody can pick up or listen to? Unfortunately,
1: I didn't have the the amazing technology around, Um, like all the resources that that women have these days. So there wasn't really anything that, that sparked me. Um, I guess in one of my therapy sessions, something that has always struck out to me that I have carried with me is realizing that anger is a secondary emotion to fear or disappointment. And so once I understood that and kind of could really like, why am I angry right now? What is the root of that? Am I sad? Or am I disappointed or am I fearful? Like, okay, now I understand how to differentiate that. I can dig a little bit deeper and see a little bit further what the root issue is to why I'm feeling
0: the way that I'm feeling. Awesome. That's that's a, a good piece of advice for not any even people who haven't been through any, you know, domestic violence or um, any situation. That's great advice for anybody who deals with the anger emotion because it's, it is a secondary emotion. So that's that's a great piece of advice for everybody. So one last question. How can our listeners reach you if they want to hear more from you or um, ask you questions?
1: They are more than welcome to shoot me an email. It's beth at LLC.com That would probably be the most direct way. Um, I also have social media channels as well. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. They teeter more towards um, my investing career, but they can always look up A21 Atlanta on Instagram, and that will show them and give them information about facts about human trafficking and sex slavery, any events that we have upcoming, kind of let you know more about the walk as well. So Instagram would probably be your best bet as far as A21 goes. If you want to reach me directly, definitely Beth at
0: Purpose Property,
1: LLC.com.
0: Awesome. Beth, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for what you're doing.
0: If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2ThrivingATL, T-O-Thriving-A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.